Well, good morning. We're going to go ahead and get started. We uh, Last week, for those of you who were here, we finished up John chapter 4. So we begin this morning in John chapter 5, and we're going to cover the first 15 verses. So this morning, we are going to cover John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Let me uh, read those verses for us together. Let's start. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called, in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then those, then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool whenever the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps in before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more lest the worst thing come upon you. Then the man departed and told the Jews it was Jesus who had made him well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time this morning. Father, we ask that uh, you be here with us this morning, and the Holy Spirit be here with us, and illumine our hearts and minds as we open your word and seek truth from your word. And we just thank you that we have this, um, that we can study week in and week out, and we pray that you'll bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> so as we have mentioned several times in our study in John, uh, John's gospel is not ordered like the other three. We call the other three gospels synoptic because they give a synopsis of Jesus' life. Uh, we do not call John's gospel a synoptic gospel. Uh, nearly two-thirds of the book covers uh, Jesus' last week of life. Okay? Uh, so, so John's gospel, really, when you look at it as a as a book, as a work, is more of a theological reflection of Jesus's life and ministry. And so far, uh, John has told us about several encounters uh, with different people. You remember Nicodemus, uh, the Samaritan, uh, the Samaritan woman, and then uh, last week the nobleman. Well, here in uh, chapter five, we see another encounter. Uh, but this time, John is not so much focused on the sick man himself. Okay, What we see here, rather, John here starts to introduce and starts to explain the hostility that Jesus experienced. 
from the religious establishment, namely uh, the Pharisees. And so chapter 5 begins with this statement, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, many times in John's Gospel, uh, uh, John tells us about Jesus attending one of these Jewish uh, feasts. Most of the time, he tells us which one. He sets the stage by telling us which feast or what is about to happen, and he tells us which feast it actually is, but not this time. Um, the one the commentators that I read, most most people really can't be exactly sure of which feast this was. Uh, however, uh, Calvin and his commentary, based on the timeline and the sequence of events, uh, believes this was Pentecost. Uh, that in his words, though I do not dispute about the matter. That was Calvin's words. Meaning what? He's not going to get an argument about it, right, to prove that that's it, right? He, he thinks that's what it is. Not 100% sure not going to argue with anybody about it. So here in, uh, let's continue, verse uh, verse 2, we're at the feast here. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. Now if you remember the orientation of, of the city, the sheep gate was on the northern section of Jerusalem. And at this place where these, uh, these pools were is actually Two pools were located uh, there. They were side by side and they were covered or surrounded, excuse me, by five columns. Uh, the columns supported a covering, basically, a, you know, just a way uh, to, to provide shelter for those who are beside the pools. And what we know here uh, by what John tells us is that people who had illnesses, whatever various ones we, we read about here in verse 3, uh, they would come and they would wait beside the pool to take advantage of what we're going to call an unusual phenomenon Okay, that would happen. And he, John tells us about this, or we have this recorded for us in John uh, verses uh, 3 and 4. Let me read those. He says, so, so in, at the pool at, at, um, at Bethesda, in, they, in those they lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the movement of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now before we get too far along here uh, in the section, we need to comment a little bit about what's documented here. Uh, This is the only place in sacred scripture where we're told anything about this pool and this angel. Okay, this is the only place. It is not mentioned anywhere else. So how are we to understand this here as we have it included for us? Well, in Dr. Sproul's commentary, he starts and says, well, what we need to do first, before we get too far into this, is what we need to do is offer some background on the manuscripts of the Bible. Okay, when they talk about where they come from, where what's the history of the manuscripts? The sad reality is we do not possess any of the original manuscripts that the Bible were written. Okay, none of them, all of them have been lost. What we believe um, is, or what, excuse me, what we do have is we have hundreds and in some cases thousands of the earliest copies. Okay, so the church does not possess any of the original 
manuscripts. It only has the earliest copies. Because we have a very uh, high degree, uh, or because of that, because of the, the sheer number and volume of the earliest copies, okay, and we have a very high degree of confidence that our biblical content today is very, very, very close to the original. What we do believe um, in the... Um, and if you've ever been to uh, Presbytery and you hear a, a pastor being or a candidate for ministry being examined, sometimes they will get asked the question about the authenticity of Scripture. And what we believe is what? That the, orig- the, the Bible is 100% authentic as contained in what? In its original manuscript. Okay, why? Because the original manuscript is the only one that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? Through the author himself in its original manuscript. The copies are not inspired, are they? They are the work of men. So is it possible that there is an error? Yes. It is possible. But anything that a man does is subject, or a woman, but in this case, men made copies... Anything they do is subject to error. So we acknowledge the reality that it is possible. Okay, we have to, right? We have to. Um, again, based on the the scrutiny that the that the manuscripts have have undergone, we are, as Sproul said, very, very, very confident in um, the the. The authenticity of the Bible, of the biblical content that we have today. Now, as we, we talk about that, we sometimes find manuscripts that would differ as to what is in the original, and that is what most think is what we have right here. Some of the best texts of the original manuscripts, the copies, okay, the copies of the originals, some of the best do not include verse 4. Okay, the, the, the verse about. Uh, the angel coming in and stirring up the waters. Some of the best uh, original texts do not include this verse. Therefore, it is is is, is possible, okay, that because we have again no other reference to this in all of Scripture. This is not mentioned anywhere else. Which you would think this is a pretty significant thing. I mean, if this you know really did happen, if this was God's truth, it's pretty significant. Very possible that it would be another New Testament author would have mentioned this. Maybe the other none of the the other three synoptic gospel writers mentioned this happening. Okay, it's the only place. So what it is possible uh, that, that as, as Sproul wrote is that this verse describing what the angel has you know did here uh, may have been described or we should describe it more of a, a superstition uh, of the people. Okay, something that they believed happened rather than actually the truth from God. Okay, that's, that's a, a possibility. Okay, we're not standing on one or the other and saying this is what it is. Um, but it's a possibility that it could explain why this is here. Uh, but if, so if, if we go on the, the, the stirring up of the water was not caused by an angel, and it, let's say, let's go with the fact that maybe it was uh, just a, a belief of the people, a superstitious belief, then, then what's going on here? Why, 
What's happening? Um, well, what we do know about these pools at Bethesda is that uh, the water in the pools was fed by these artisanal wells. Okay, these these wells, um, and the wells would start to flow water, and the pools would be stirred up, therefore creating movement in the water. Um, similar to uh, what we have in some of the hot springs locations. You know, if you I've never been to one of those. Um, I've heard of what hot springs in Arkansas. Have you been there? It's just been there, you know, so the water just, it's coming up out of the ground. It's moving on its own, you know, uh, maybe if, if you were to not understand that that's what it was doing, then maybe somebody would think, hey, this is something supernatural happening here. This is not a, a natural explanation. Um, so the, the, the uh, that's what we could, if, we, if, we, if we're going on the, the assumption here that it's not by an angel, then that's probably what's going on here. That is the natural occurrence. It's happening uh, natural, and the people of the day didn't understand the science behind it, and so they attributed it to an angel. So we're going to go with that, okay? We're going to go with that, and we're going to move. anybody got any questions about that, about the manuscripts or anything, ma'am? I don't like it. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's it's. It, I'm not going to defend uh, the author here. Uh, you know, that's his. That's, this is Sproul's commentary. That's his take on it. I did read um, MacArthur Study Bible said something very similar. Calvin was not convinced that this was uh, his. His commentary didn't address this specifically. Uh, this not being in the original manuscript, he didn't even address that. I think he just kind of took it as that's what happened. Um, it is. I do find it odd though. It's not mentioned anywhere else. Okay, ESV. It's not even mentioned. This is New King James. What I'm using. Yeah. So. I, I think it's interesting because when you mention it. Right, right. And whoever, again, we don't have John's original manuscript. So it's it is possible. You know. Uh, now again, the fact it raises brings up the fact of okay. Did this really ha- was this re- a real angel from the throne room of God who did this, you know, supernaturally, or was it a natural occurrence? Well, I guess at the end of the day, we don't really know, right? Uh, for sure, you know, we have what we have here. Um, it's possible that it could be one or the other. Uh, I just I, I kind of side with that maybe it's was added just or and, and maybe superstition, not necessarily a supernatural event. Again, just for the ship act, it's not mentioned anywhere else. I don't know. That, that seems like a pretty amazing thing, and no other writer even ever mentions it. So. And people still go to hot springs for. Yeah. Thank you. We're gonna hit some bits and pieces of that. I think uh, in a minute. <clears throat> well, we're told in verse five that there was a, a among this multitude of people there was a certain man who was laying there who had an infirmity for thirty-eight years. 38 uh, years. Now this this man was here among the people gathered at the pool. He obviously believed in the healing waters, uh, healing powers of the water. He was convinced that if he was the first one in, it's going to get cured. He was he was convinced. And so apparently he had uh, some form of paralysis. He couldn't, couldn't walk or he, he couldn't walk well at least uh, for 38 years. And it prevents him from getting into the pool. Why? Because he can't, he could get there. He just can't get there quick enough. That's the problem, right? He says, every time I try to get in, somebody gets in before me. 
So Jesus observed this. He's there, as Matthew has mentioned. Uh, nobody else is there with these people, but Jesus is there with these people, right? Because Jesus loves on people. But he saw him there in that condition. And, and so John tells us in the first half of verse 6, it says he knew that he already had been in that condition a long time. Now the word uh, knew here, the way it was written, implies supernatural knowledge of the man's condition. Jesus, because He's fully God and fully man, knew that this was the case with this man. And so Jesus picked Him out among the many sick people. Um, Why? Because that's what He wanted to do. That was His sovereign choice. No reason is given to us as to why He chose this man. Well, His first question in the second half of verse 6 is what? Do you want to be made well? First question. Do you want to be made well? Well, is it, if Jesus knew the man's condition, which he did, right? He knew it had been that way for a very long time. Why did he ask him that question? Why did he ask him, do you want to be made well? Well, one reason is maybe uh, that uh, Jesus wanted, to, because he, Jesus knows what he's about to do. Jesus knows he's about to heal the man, right? So it's, it's very possible that Jesus wanted to get the attention of the witnesses standing close by, uh, so that uh, so that okay, you, you need to pay. Something's about to happen here, and you need to be paying attention. Uh, I'm about to heal the man, not not the waters. I'm about to do this. So it's very possible he was going to get the attention of the people around him. It's possible uh, that uh, the man had become content in his condition. I know that's kind of hard to think about. Um, but it is possible that he had been very content in his condition, that having uh, learned how to depend on other people to take care of all of his needs. Um, in, that, in that case, Jesus' question was likely intended to warn him. Okay, if, if you're very comfortable where you are, then if I heal you, life's going to change. Life's about to become radically different. No more handouts. No more assistance. He's going to start start having to be productive on his own. Something he had not done in a very long time. R.C. tells about a time when he was uh, in school and he was working, uh, had a part-time job at a gym in Pittsburgh. And he said he was headed home one afternoon or one evening after work, or it was at nighttime, and he passed a jewelry store. And just as he walked past the store, a man rushed out of the door, right? And he busted out of the, the, the door, came out on the street, and the owner was right behind him, and he hollered, Stop, thief! And, and so R.C. said, he, he almost ran right into me. That's what R.C. says. And just by instinct, he grabbed him. You know, like, I have no clue what's going to happen. You know, I, I, I don't know if I would do that today. Because uh, what, what's he going to do? Is he going to pull a knife on you? Is he going to pull a gun on you? Is he going to shoot you on the street? I, you know, don't really know. Of course, this was a long time ago. Um, but he says he grabbed him. Right, just instinctively, just grabbed him. And R.C. says, I told him, said, hold it, hold on a minute. And the man just looked at him and said, I give up. <laughs> and he said, soon the police arrived, they took him off to jail. 
And he said the next next day, he said, R.C. knew one of the officers that was there, and he said he said he saw him the next day. He said, "Hey, what's the deal?" He asked about the guy, and he says, "Oh, the police, oh, we know him well." And said we put him in jail for a month, two months, six months. As soon as he gets out, he does something just like this. What had happened to that man? He'd become used to living behind bars. And he really did not understand how to function in the real world. Now that's sad, isn't it? That is sad. He had a bed every night and three meals a day. Well, so, but you see, that's, that happens. It happens today. Right? How many of you, and I'm not going to get off on a rabbit trail too much. How many of you have seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? Wonderful movie. If you've never seen it, you young people in here, you need to see it. Okay, I'm looking at two young people. You need to see it. It's an older movie. I can't remember what it was made. Wonderful movie. You need to watch it. But in the movie, there's a man. Um, oh, good. I just lost it. Um, what was his name? What was? Red. No, it wasn't Red. It was um, the older white-haired fella. Um, what was his name? Brooks. Brooks. Thank you. Brooks. Brooks had been incarcerated for most of his adult life. Okay, he'd been behind bars like 50 years. Okay? He's an old man now. Um, he gets paroled. He gets out. And he's scared to death. And he, they put him in a halfway house. And he tries to get back into life. And he can't do it. He, he tries. I don't, know, I don't remember the timeline or how long that he attempted to, to get back into the routine of life. And he couldn't do it. And what did he do? He went into his room and he hung himself. He had no way to adjust. He didn't, he didn't know. He, there was no nothing there for him. Sad situation. Very, very sad situation. So if you get the chance to watch the movie, you need to watch it. Well, that could be the case here with this paralyzed man. 38 years that he's dependent on what? Someone else to meet all his needs, basically. To do everything for him. So Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? So in response to Jesus' question, the man said in verse 7, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but when I am coming, another one steps in before me. So evidently, by this man's answer, he was expecting Jesus to help him into the pool. That's probably what this guy's thinking. He obviously has no idea who he's talking to, does he? He has no idea who he is talking to, that he's the Son of God and who can do... Anything that he wants to do. He can make anybody well or heal anybody that he wants to. So far, the man is... What he's looking at right now is just what's on the surface. He's looking at his own resources. In other words, he's looking at what he has at hand. He's depending on himself to fix his problem. He's just looking at what's right in front of him. There's a man. He has no idea he's the Son of God. And uh, he's just basically saying, Hey, I don't have anybody to help me. Maybe you can help me. Right, just strictly looking at um, the resources he had in hand, but Jesus here has completely another idea, another plan. And you think about that for a moment. You and I are guilty of something like this when we're in a tough situation or a tough, tough circumstance. When we want to change the circumstance, we just look to what our resources are, what we have. How can I fix this? 
I don't, I don't have enough money in the bank. So, okay, so how can I make more money? Or I have a certain sickness or something. How can I heal myself? What doctor can I go see instead of doing what? Who can change the circumstances with a word? Who can change everything with the word? With you, with, with totally to resources that are where? Beyond your control, right? That are supernatural, right? The first place to go for the believer, right? Should be to our Heavenly Father, to our Savior. That's the first place we should go. Instead of looking to what, what do I have? What do I have that can fix this? Well, God has all resources at His disposal, right? Well, Jesus here has a different plan. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And just, just think about this for a minute, okay? John started this gospel with what? We're telling us who. Who is Jesus? He tells us that He's in the beginning with God. He tells us what? That all things that were made were made by Him. With His Word, He made everything. Now, the same person, okay, I won't say the same man, the same person, the Son of God, is standing here before this man and He says, rise up, take your bed, and walk. The very same way that He spoke the world into being. The pow- there is power in the words of Jesus Christ. His word spoken accomplishes exactly what it's supposed to do. It takes no effort. It takes no work. It takes no planning. It takes nothing. It is said and then it is done. And that is simply amazing, isn't it? Jesus' spoken word, all He had to do was say it and it had the power to cure this man. The bed, okay. What what it says, take up your bed, and he says he, he did. The, what was what was it wasn't like a bed like we're used to, right? Because that'd be pretty difficult. It'd be like it's taking up one of these tables, you know, carrying around. It was what it was probably it, it was a mat, right, made of reeds. So what could happen is you could just roll it up and just throw it over your shoulder and just keep going. Um, and so that's that's what he did. And so hearing the words of Jesus, he obeyed. He literally did exactly what Jesus said. It says, verse 9 8, And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, the use of, of this phrase here in the first half of verse 9, the phrase, because he said, Jesus said, do what? Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately what? The man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. What is he saying? He was completely cured. That's what. That's the emphasis of this verse. He was completely cured of what had ailed him for 38 years. Well, this is not where the story ends because this is when the trouble starts. Second half of verse 9 and 10. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Now remember, Jesus knew the man had had this this malady for 38 years. He knew that supernaturally. He knew that. And He, of course, knows exactly what day of the week it is. This is on purpose, kind of leading to what Matthew was saying earlier. He knows exactly what day this is. This is done on purpose. 
Okay, this is done on purpose. This day and this time. Now, let me ask you a question because what do the what do the Jews say? It is it is a Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your uh, your bed on the Sabbath. Now, you tell me. Where in the Bible does it say that it is unlawful for a person who has been healed of paralysis for 38 years to not carry his bed? Where does it say that? It's in Exodus 31, verses 12 through 18, which I will be teaching tomorrow night. What, so, what are you referring to, though? What is the piece that you're referring to? To the prohibition of work. Right. That was what? Added by... The Jews and the Pharisees, the prohibition to carry. Actually, they actually added because uh, to answer the question. Okay, this specific question. Okay, where, where does it say it is unlawful for a person who has been miraculously healed from it's amazing miracle? Thirty-eight years, just the Sabbath. Where does it say that he can't roll up his bed and and and, and then carry it and, and not take it anywhere? Well, what we know, okay, because of the Pharisees, we've talked about the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees, the rabbis, in their uh, pursuit uh, to add to, you remember, they were so zealous for the law that they added things to it to, so you wouldn't even get close to violating it, if you remember. That's what they did. They came up with all these other things. I mean, they had um, just, and we've, I can't, there's a bunch of them, that they just added to that was not words of God. Basically, they just said, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to put up, here's, what you can't do, and we're going to put up a big fence around it so you don't even get close to it. That's kind of their attitude, right? They were so zealous for that. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, other these other laws, right? Well, right. They had, they had added added things in. Well, in their pursuit to add to it, they had listed thirty nine specific types of work that were illegal on the Sabbath. And guess what? The 39th rule, the very last one, was the prohibition of carrying something, anything, a thing, from one place to another. That's the 39th rule. So, pick up something and carry it from one place to another, prohibited on the Sabbath. What? Okay. Don't, don't, yeah, what if you drag it? Yeah, good question. Well, it says can't pick it up, right? So, these people, when they saw the man, instead of rejoicing in the fact that he's been healed, look at this amazing miracle that has happened, they decided to accuse him of violating the Sabbath. You know, and you just got to say, you just shake your head and you go, how deceitful, how wicked is the human heart? That's right. That's right. Don't care about them. We're going we're gonna to find a way to point out what you was wrong. Instead of saying, look what just happened. Praise the Lord. This man's been healed. No. Let's accuse him of doing something wrong. Let's be a legalist. Let's point out. Let's be, let's be negative. Let's assume the worst. And let's just... It's a negative situation. Let's don't look at what great thing just happened. They were so caught up in uh, the rules that had been added to the Word of God that they didn't even stop to rejoice or glorify the God who they say they worship in heaven, right? Uh, for this man's healing. What was what was the Samaritan woman? After uh, she met Jesus, what did she do? She went away and told everybody. I just met a man who told me everything. 
about me. You need to come meet him. He's amazing. Right? He's the Messiah. What about this guy? This, the Pharisees scold him for carrying his bed on the Sabbath. And what did he say? In verse 11, he answers them. They'd ask him, right? right they, they want to know um, who... Well, basically they accuse him of this. And so his response in verse 11 is, he answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. So what is he saying? He says, I, Hey man, this wasn't my idea. Right? I'm just here. Mind my own business. I want to get in the pool and get healed. This guy comes along and tells me to get up and take walk and take my bed. And that's exactly what I did. I had walked in 38 years. And so what am I supposed to do? Right? That's kind of, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? It's like he was saying, hey man, I just do what I was told. If you got a problem, you need to go talk to him. That's kind of what he's saying, right? It's, it's kind of what he's saying. Hey, I, I, I don't know. Well, you know, when you first think about this uh, response, there, there's another place in the Bible that is a similar situation where when confronted with something, um, the first reaction is to basically pass the book. Right? And we know it because it's right in the beginning of the Bible. When God came to the garden after man had sinned. What was the first thing Adam said? Woman did it. She made me do it. I didn't. Hey, I, 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 go talk to her. I, I don't know. I, she she made me do it. Right. First thing, the woman you gave me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Well, not much has changed since then. We're always passing uh, the buck. Instead of instead of rejoicing uh, and defending the one who healed him and delivered him, he, he basically just passed the buck. Said, "Hey, man, he I just do what he's told." Um, and then they question, "Okay, what, who was it? Who was it that did that?" And he says, "What? I don't I don't know his name." I have no idea what his name is. Um, Dr. Sproul tells about an occasion um, when the uh, well went back up. We, we were before we, we, we just, the man couldn't name him. Um, we're reminded of Jesus's words over in Luke twelve, and this is uh, Luke twelve verses eight and nine. It says, "Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men." Him, the Son of Man, will also confess before the angels. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. This is where Dr. Spool tells a story of about when the army of Alexander the Great was engaged in a very fierce battle. And during the fight, one of his soldiers left. He was he fled. He left his post. He fled. He was a coward. Well, afterwards, he was caught and he was detained. And so at the appropriate time, he was brought to the general's tent. So he's standing there trembling before the general and Alexander asked him, why did you run? He said, I was scared. Alexander said, I see. He said, what is your name? And then he mumbled something under his breath, very quietly at first. And Alexander the Great said, speak up. I can't hear you. Speak up. And he answered and he says, my name is Alexander. So Alexander the Great looked at him and replied to him, he says, either change your behavior or change your name. 
The one thing that we can remember, this takeaway, with Jesus' words in Luke, this example from, from Alexander the Great, if, if you find yourself being embarrassed by Jesus, or you find yourself afraid to confess Him before men, then either change your behavior or stop calling yourself a Christian. That's serious, isn't it? That's serious. The story doesn't end here. And I need to to hurry up because we're getting close to the end of our time. The story doesn't end here. It doesn't stop here. And of course, we're not going to finish this whole... uh, The the encounter continues and Lord willing, we'll get to it uh, next week. But verse... 14, afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now there are many passages in John's Gospel and other places that warn us against concluding that a certain negative circumstance, a certain disease, a certain malady is a direct result of a particular sin in your life. Okay, there are passages that warn against that. Okay, you track and something you get, you know, something bad happens to you personally in your life. The first thing you want to think of, well, it's because of a particular sin. And this is retribution for that. There are passages, many verses of scripture that say you cannot make that equation. Okay, that one A plus B doesn't equal C. That is not always the case. Now, we can acknowledge in a general sense that all diseases and sickness are a result of sin, right? The fall. I mean, if it wasn't for the fall, then there would be no sicknesses and disease. But we're talking about a specific, connecting a disease or a handicap and connecting it to a specific sin in your own life. Okay? We can't do that. The Bible does not, God does not deal with His people that way. Okay? He's not a tit-for-tat kind of God. Okay, you do this bad, or I'm going to do this good. Or you do this good, I'm going to do this bad. Or, or, you know, you have this particular sin, I'm going to send a, a disease on you. To curse you. It doesn't work that way. On the other hand, while that is true, okay, it doesn't mean that a certain calamity is never a result of a specific sin. Okay? You follow me? We can't say that it's always, because the Bible tells us that's not the way God works. But we also can't say that it never is that way. Okay, we can't say never is a, a specific bad situation or circumstance is not a result of a specific sin. Over in uh, Luke 13, uh, 1 through 5, uh, Jesus mentions the death of 18 people and the collapse of uh, this tower. And he noted, he told them, he says, unless you repent, you all likewise will perish. And so Jesus is saying to this man, stop your sinful lifestyle. Least a worse thing happen to you. You think... You know, having an infirmary where you can't walk for 38 years is bad. You know, if, if you don't repent and change your lifestyle, things could get worse, is what Jesus was saying here. He, gave, he gives him some good advice. Jesus healed him after a 38-year paralysis, and he gives him some good advice. Repent. Basically, you got to repent. You need to stop living the way you've been living and clean yourself up. You know, give glory to God for what He's, what he's done for you. Very quickly, verse 15, how does he respond? The man departed and he told the Jews it was Jesus who made him well. Now, 
I'm going to do this quickly. We can see here that he had a different experience with Jesus and a different response. We can't make the assumption here, though, that he was trying to get Jesus in trouble. Okay? It, you can kind of read this a couple of different ways. Um, we can't make that assumption here. Okay. Again, put yourself in a situation. He'd just been healed after 30 year, uh, 38 year illness. He's healed now. Okay, let me get the guy in trouble now. I, that's a jump. Okay, that's a real big, far jump. Um, Calvin said his attention, therefore, was pious. He wished to render to his physician, capital P, uh, the honor which was justly due to him. Uh, just to sum up, to, to finish up, I'm going to have to skip a little bit. Um, it's believers, we need to remind ourselves of this one fact because it's, it's very easy for people, uh, Christians, who uh, are, are, it's very easy to remain faithful to Christ when you're getting some, or enjoying, or you think you are anyway, some benefits from Him. It's very difficult when you perceive that you're not getting what you want. Sometimes it's hard to, to stay faithful, but we need to remember, our believers anyway, need to be reminded of one fact that if God never does anything else good for you for the rest of your life after today, He's done enough. Okay? If you're a believer, if He never does not one other thing good for you the rest of your life, if the rest of your life is hard, it's difficult circumstances, it's, it's, it's sickness, it's whatever, He's done enough so that you can glorify Him in everything. Because why? He saved you from your sins forever. It's a one-time thing. It's and it lasts forever. Let me pray for us, Heavenly Father. We thank you so much for our de- our time together, Father. We pray that you will uh, take your word and apply it to our lives and bless us um, and change us, Father, uh, and make us more like uh, Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen.